guys are here this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 again today, and uh, a lot of scripture today. So if I, if I go too fast, just tell me, slow down, and I'll split it up into, into a couple weeks. Um, I thought this was going to be part two of two, but it's probably going to be more like part two of four. So uh, um, 2 Corinthians 6, and we're going to pick it up in verses, verse 4, and we'll read... Uh, the title is, What's in it for you? Last week was part one, today will be part two, and so on. It will probably continue on. So let's go ahead and pray before we, uh, before we start in this passage. So, Lord, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for your blessings today. Um, Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for, um, I thank you that you are good all the time. And Lord, for that reminder that I've had this week. Um, Lord, I thank you that that you that you love us with a jealous kind of love, and uh, Lord, that doesn't mean the kind of jealousy that we have, uh, but Lord, it's a holy jealousy, and it's a a perfect love, and so Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more like Christ in that today, and help us understand what you want us to know from this passage this morning. And I thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so starting in chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 4. Paul's giving descriptions of of, uh, the things that he has been a part of, how he has um, lived, how he has helped out, uh, how he has been through trials and the response, uh, giving a good example, a perfect example, a complete example to the people of Corinth. And not only giving them that example, but he calls them to live like that. So starting in verse 4, he says, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, in understanding, patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known and yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. So I'm going to stop right there. We'll go beyond that today, but I want to stop reading right there. And last week I, I made a comment that, you know, Paul first starts out, he lists nine uh, trials, and then he also lists um, 
nine uh, inner qualities that, that are given to him. And then in verses 8 and 9, um, he, he follows it up with nine paradoxes. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you each of you. Let's see how many we got. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Who just left? Oh, okay. Eight of you. I'm going to give you each of you a passage to turn to that we're just going to look at about these trials, some of these trials that Paul experienced. Some of you might get two. So um, if you'd look up Acts 18, verses 5 and 6. Most of these are in Acts as well. Um, Acts 14, verses 21 and 22. And actually put down verses 19 and 20 because we're going to read 19 and 20 after the, a couple times after that. So same chapter, just verses 19 and 20. Uh, Acts 18, verses 14 through 16. Acts 19, verses 8 through 10. Uh, Acts 19, 28 through 41. Acts 18, 1 through 4. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you first, actually, Joe Lynn, 1 Corinthians 4, 11, and 12, but they're going to be read at separate times. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And then for you, Acts 9, 22 through 25. And then Acts 16, 25 through 34. What's that? Yes. Uh, 14 through 16. No. Uh, no, yours, I'm sorry, Acts 19, verses 8 and 10. 8 through 10. Okay? So when we, when we look at these, Paul describes, he says, first of all, in troubles. Okay, and so Acts 18, 5 and 6, go ahead and tell us what that says. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he took out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of this. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, so he, here he's, he's in... Um, I believe he's in Corinth at this time. Let me turn there real quick. Yeah. So he's actually talking. This is his first experience with the people of Corinth. And, uh, and he's ready to leave. And a few minutes later, the Lord is going to tell him, stick around because I have more people there that are going to give their life to Christ. And he ends up staying for another year and a half after that. And so... Um, Paul does that. He, he obeys the, uh, the vision that he sees of the Lord at that time. So then when he talks about hardships, um, who did I give 18 verses 14 through 16? Go ahead and read that. This, this is in the same chapter, just a little farther down, and he describes what happens here. Verses 
Sosthenes. Mm -hmm. Proconsul. Mm -hmm. Right. So what kind of help is Paul getting from the civil government here? Nah, <laughs> the civil government's just going, you know what? This isn't a matter for us. We're not worried about this. Keep us out of it. You deal with it on your own. Uh, and what ends up happening is one of the first people that Paul gives the gospel to in Corinth ends up getting beat up, wrongfully beat up, right in front of the law, and they turn and look away. You know, So we think that defunding the police is a, is a new thing, right? When the reality is, is the law here is turning away from a, a blatant, open... Um, uh, I can't think of the word now, uh, distress that is being put on someone just because of what they believe, okay, and how they choose to live. And so Paul is describing that in, in 2 Corinthians. So he's, he's talking about hardships here as well. Who has Acts 14, 21 and 22? Go ahead. Right. So, um, go ahead. Okay, so he's explaining to them, um, to, the, to the people that are choosing to follow him, the difficulties that they're going to experience. And so when we think about uh, his first journey, how when they left, he took Barnabas and John Mark with him. And John Mark left um, when, they, when they came ashore and decided to go back to Jerusalem. And there's all kinds of speculation on why he left. Um, you know, my personal uh, observation is that he didn't realize how much it was going to cost him as far as persecution and those kind of things. Some people speculate that he was young, became homesick, um, was worried about his mother, that kind of thing. Um, all reasons that, that, and excuses sometimes that he will even make today for not obeying Christ and for not following through with what God has called us to do. Um, but it, it was something that kind of rubbed Paul the wrong way. But later on, after John Mark spends some years with Peter, we read in 2 Timothy um, that the Apostle Paul says, you know what, bring John Mark. He's, he's grown up. He's, he's really started to come around. He's really following the Lord, and he's, and he's suffering. He's demonstrating a suffering for Christ, and he's now he's beneficial to me. So um, the actions that take place there, Paul is explaining uh, in, in this particular passage, as Luke writes it, that uh, there's going to be persecutions if you, going, if you want to follow the Lord. There's going to be trials. There's going to be, and the list of things that he gives uh, Corinth here as well. So he, he describes beatings as well. Who has Acts, uh, you read Acts 14, 19 and 20 already? No. Um, you had that one too. Who, oh, I gave you uh, Acts 19, 8, uh, 8 through 10. Dream, right? Okay, go ahead and read that please. Of 
about the kingdom of God, but some of them became ex-athletes. Mm-hmm. They refused to believe and publicly maligned. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. I think. I don't have open it, I know. Okay, so he's he's faced with distress here where he goes into the synagogue, he, he reasons with um, the synagogue leaders. Some of them, some of the time, agree with him and they want to hear more. And they, when he's run out of the synagogue or run out of the, uh, the place of worship there, he goes and finds a place and he continues to take the message of the gospel to the Greeks. Um, and he's doing it just like Jesus told him to do. So he's, he's saying the message of the gospel goes to the Jew first. When the Jews say no thank you uh, and, and give him, basically, they, they run him off, he, uh, he turns around and he goes, okay, I'm going to give the message to the Gentiles. And that's what he's doing here as well. Um, and then he he's describes as well in 2 Corinthians that they suffer beatings so Acts 14, 19, and 20. Okay. So he's he's beat to death. And I, you know, we can debate whether he was actually dead or if they just thought he was dead. Either way, it was a pretty good beating, (laughs) you know. And he cares so much about the message of Jesus Christ and he cares so much that people hear the truth that he gets up, he goes back into the city, stays the night there, and then moves on and and goes on to the next town. So did I give somebody Acts 16.22? No? I'll go ahead. What's that? Okay, go ahead. Okay, and he describes this as one of the three times in, I believe it's in Philippians, he says three times I was beaten with rods. I think this is the second of those three um, that's being described here. Uh, And so... Uh, just again, he continues to take whatever has to come in order for the gospel to go out. Uh, who has Acts 16.23? Did I give that one to somebody? Or is that the one you just read? Oh, okay. Go ahead and read 23 as well. Okay. And so he's describing, you know, in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, he's saying he's been beaten, he's been imprisoned, uh, riots. Um, we've read about the riots in Ephesus, Acts 19, 28 through 41. Is that you? Okay.
Okay, so here we see a slightly different picture than um, when Sosthenes is beaten in front of the proconsul. Here we see Alexander, if you, and if you remember the story of Alexander, he's from, if I'm, if I'm not confusing it, isn't he one that's in, involved in, in uh, translating the Bible? Or am I confusing him with somebody else? I know he's a Jew. Uh, and Alexander is one who is, he, he understands the baptism of John, but he's never heard the baptism of Jesus Christ. And so he's a godly man. He's been studying the scripture his whole life. Paul comes into the scene and, and God brings uh, through Paul the message of Jesus Christ. And now Alexander's, his, his faith and obedience transitions into obedience to Christ. Yes, No, this is not Alexander the Great, um, but that's a good question because he, I think he is slightly before uh, the birth of Christ. Am I correct on that? Um, Alexander the Great was a leader, and actually, if you have time to sit here and look at this, you can find Alexander the Great in the timeline uh, in relationship to the birth of Christ um, when you have time. When you sit down and you look at it, it takes a long time to decipher it all, but there's a lot of information there. Um, but anyway... Uh, Alexander, when they realize that he's a Jew and they realize that he's not on the side of the government and he's not on the side of the local businesses and things like that, get him out of there. We don't want to hear what he has to say. And so for two hours, they're shouting and they're shouting and they're going on and it's the city clerk who finally realizes, you know what, whether I believe what they're saying or not, this has got to stop because we're going to be in violation of the law if we're not careful. And so he steps forward, and God uses an ungodly man to stop what's happening. You know, so God has, you know, it's just a, an awesome demonstration of how God can use any person, any circumstance to his own glory and to his own honor. And so he's, Paul is protected, even though he goes, has to go through this type of riot. No, no, don't get political. We don't want to say who's fake news and who's real news, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it does, it sounds like a, a lot like things that are happening today in our culture and, and uh, in our world. So, anyway, he describes uh, hard work. Did I give Acts 18, 1 through 4 to somebody? Go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So Paul demonstrates here that it's not above him to go to work. Um, he he describes many times where he's entered into cities and he ha- he goes in and gets a job. Uh, he provides for his own and for himself until uh, his co-workers come along behind him. And oftentimes, Timothy, Silas, uh, uh, Barnabas will bring gifts from where they've stayed back to continue what Paul started. As Paul moves forward, they take care of uh, getting elders established, getting churches built and established in the communities, in the cities that they live in. And then they come along and they bring gifts that are paid forward. So um, also 1 Corinthians 4 verse 11, Paul is describing his, uh, his work in, within the Corinthian people. Go ahead and read just verse 11, please. Okay, so he's, he's describing hard work. He's describing sleepless nights and hunger as well. Um, did I give someone Acts 9? Okay, verses 22 through 25. Conspiracy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Saul learned of their plan. They were about to accept this wealth from the Jews in order to kill him. But when Saul was pushed down by night, a veil ran and fractured through the opening in their wall. Okay, so Paul has to leave the city by night because they know that they're going to kill him. So he stays up all night, and they're they're constantly watching the city gates to the point where he has to sneak out or break free um, by some other means because he's not able to just walk out the gate. And so, uh, yeah. No. No, this is actually very early on. This is like when he first is converted and he goes into Damascus. He was going to Damascus to, to arrest Christians Okay, and then he has this encounter with Jesus on the way, and after three days, Ananias comes, heals him of his blindness, baptizes him, and he goes, wow, now I understand. Now I have to tell them. And he walks right into the synagogue, kind of <laughs> a little wet behind the ears. He walks in, you know, like <laughs> you would expect to see him with his cape on. And they're going, oh, Saul's here. Great, we're going to get rid of these Christians. And he's going, no, you guys are all wrong. And they go, wait a second, what happened? You know, and of course, I'm speculating in my own mind, my own creativity a little bit here. Paul comes in. He's still kind of that arrogant, you know, uh, strong-willed, stubborn personality. But he's coming in and he's saying, I had an encounter with the Jesus that they're teaching, and they're right and you're wrong. And they're the leaders of the city. And so as this, as this happens, they're going, you know what? We <laughs> something happened to Paul. We need to get rid of him. Just like we did Jesus, because he spoke with the same uh, with the same boldness, the same absolutes, um, the same passion as Peter and the apostles. And and so now by the time he's done, they're ready to kill him, just like they are. 
um, the rest. So yeah, this is early in Paul's life. Um, Paul realizes that, oh, people are going to kill me. Uh, and so they lower him out the window uh, through a basket. And then uh, he escapes. He goes back to Jerusalem at that point, or he heads back, and then he spends three years in the wilderness with the Lord before he actually goes back to Jerusalem. It's in Galatians that he describes that he didn't go and talk to any of the, the apostles until he actually spoke with the Lord for those three years. Um, and then he goes and, and convinces Peter, yes, I had a true conversion. So, yeah. Right. Well, I'm not sure if he knows exactly how long, but he does know and understand that there are times when the Spirit of the Lord or the Lord commissions him and says, go here. So like in Acts, we, we hear the story, excuse me, where I think he's in Troas and he has plans to go somewhere else and, and he has a vision in the night. And they said of a man saying, I'm in Macedonia, come over here please and he's begging him and so all of the macedonian cities are are uh, roman occupied they're jewish people but the roman government and the roman military are there uh are there to provide uh order and they're there to provide protection and things like that um but they're also there to regulate religion uh and so paul when he goes there he goes there to bring Christianity, and the Romans are opposed to it. They're not happy about it. Um, and so you see in, you know, in Thessalonica, is in Macedonia. You know, he only spends three weeks there, and they run him out of town. And so he's really concerned, <clears throat> but they're demonstrating such a, a, a wonderful uh, passion for knowing the gospel, knowing the scripture, and they become obedient to it almost immediately. Um, before Paul continues on to Athens and to Corinth. Um, so anyway, the things that we're describing here in 2 Corinthians, um, sleepless nights. Um, you just read Acts 9, 22 through 25. Did I give someone Acts chapter 16, 25 through 34? Yeah. Okay, so picture this, what was just read, and how would most of us respond to a man who was guarding us that was about ready to kill himself? 
What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we might sit there and go, well, you know what? If he kills himself, then we can all just run off. Right? But that's not what he's doing. So it's, it's, it's about midnight, okay? The prison cell, I picture, is being, it's dark enough that the, that the, that the jailer is not able to see that they're still in there. Okay? The jailer is there. He falls asleep. And Paul and Silas and the other prisoners are praising God after, this is at midnight, this is after they've been ministering all day. They've been working all day. They're beaten. They're stripped of their clothes. And they're put in a jail cell. And I think most of us in here have heard how the Romans would, or excuse me, the Philippians and the Romans would imprison people like this. They're sitting on a cold, hard floor, naked, with their legs pulled out about as far as they can be pulled and chained. And their arms pulled out about as far as they can be pulled out and chained. Mice, rats, anything you can possibly name, probably crawling around in there. Um, not to get too graphic, but human waste on the floor. That's the kind of prison, and they're sitting there after working all day and bringing the gospel message to these people and loving on them, and this is how they're treated. And he's sitting in there, and he's praising God. Okay, the earthquake happens. Their chains come off, and they, oh, relief from the, the way they're bound. And the jailer comes in, and he's ready to kill himself because he knows that if they escaped, he's going to die anyway, and he would rather do it himself. And Paul says, wait, we're all still here. Not just Paul and his companions, all of the prisoners are still there. And Paul says, wait, we're all still here. And so he shares the gospel. He stays up through the night, all night, shares the gospel with the jailer's family. Um, then the next day, he's released. And when he's released, they say, well, you can go now. He's, no, 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 no. I'm a Roman, and a Roman put me in prison. That Roman is going to come out here and walk me out the door so that they know that you mistreated me wrongfully. And he's not doing it just to say, I need this for me. He's doing it to say, I came here to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you're going to demonstrate, according to the law, that the gospel of Christ is truth, is right. It is holy. And so he, he takes them, and, and it's not about Paul. He makes it about Christ the whole time. So they walk him out. And then what's he do when he gets out? Does he take a nap? No. If you read into the next chapter, they go on. They go on to Thessalonica. He's, he's on mission to the next town. And so anyway, uh, so we hear about the sleepless nights. Uh, the hunger. Did I get? I didn't give anybody Acts fourteen twenty three. I'll read that one really quick. Um, I could see I'm not going to come anywhere near getting through all of this. It says Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. And this is just one occasion. This is the only occasion that I picked out because it was the. One occasion that at the time that he's writing 2 Corinthians that they would have heard about. So later on, we know that Paul, um, when he was being shipped off uh, 
when he was going to Malta and to Rome, uh, and he was on that journey, that it was a severe journey. Um, there was hunger. There was shipwreck. He was in the open sea uh, for days. Um, there was, you know, all of these other things that he describes later on. There's, there's still more trials to come even after he writes this. And so, Jolene, did you read... Uh, 412, you read 412 already, right? Oh, okay, read 1 Corinthians 412 as well then, please. That's okay. Oh, okay, that's all right. Yeah. Right, right. So he's describing that when we came to Corinth in the first place, we didn't ask you for anything. We didn't want a handout. Um, we weren't here to benefit from being here in any way. We came strictly to preach the gospel, and we supplied everything that we needed for ourselves in order to do that. So back in 2 Corinthians, um, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, he lists nine inner qualities. Um, and these inner qualities are, are things that we're, gonna, we're just going to touch on them today, uh, but we will get deeper into them because they're mentioned later in 2 Corinthians and we'll, we'll really pour into them more then. Uh, but he describes purity in verse 6. Um, I lost my place. Yeah, impurity and understanding and patience. Those first three. If you were to describe purity to someone, how would you, how would you explain it? Does, do you have an idea? Okay. And, and, and I would agree with that completely. Um, what I had written down was blameless and practical righteousness. Uh, and so when we say the word righteousness, the way that it's described, that, that Christ describes it and that God describes it in the Bible, is living right in the eyes of God. So doing right in the eyes of, in the, eyes of the Lord. Um, being pure in heart is always asking or inquiring of God what it is and how he wants you to make the decisions or the choices that we make. And so um, Jim has told us, made mention many times that the Bible is a book of preventatives, not remedies, okay? Um, and, and that's, that can be kind of taken two ways, you know, uh, because I hear people say the remedy is Jesus Christ to what you're, <laughs> and so that is true. But when we study the Bible, he prepares us for things that we're not able to see that are going to happen. So he and his omniscience can see what I'm going to experience next week, how I'm going to react, how I'm going to do the things. And, and man, I've experienced this this week, this past week, in ways that I, it just blew my mind. Um, that he has put things in place to be, to be in place, knowing already how I'm going to respond. And so, um, practical righteousness, doing things practically in a righteous way. 
Um, the word understanding in this, in this verse is, is practical knowledge, uh, wisdom. And both of these of which display a sensitivity in dealing with others within the body of believers. Okay, so he's not talking to people outside the church. He's talking to people that are within the body. So, and the third one, he, he mentions patience. Uh, this is one that hits me right between the eyes, okay? Because this is one that I am weak in, um, in, many, in many ways. And, and I wrote down the ability to bear up under the oversights and wrongs afflicted by others without retaliating. Ooh. I want to retaliate. It's our nature. That's right. <laughs> you want to justify your actions. Um, and my wife can attest that this is one that I'm not perfect at by any means. <laughs> you know. Um, but the passage, one passage I do want to mention that goes along with this is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Um, she, uh, my wife has the t-shirt to this verse and I mean literally has a t-shirt that says Galatians 5.22 on it and uh, says since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other Galatians 5 oh I'm sorry I read 25 um, that one goes right along with it 5.22 I'm sorry is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, I want to read in 23 as well. Against, all such, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And uh, that is that's a that's a strong word um, for for me personally, uh, because those are things that that God through Paul is saying that we should be doing all the time, or that we should at least be striving for all the time, and allow Him to perfect that in us. And that's difficult. Uh, there are times when it's very difficult. There are times when it's easy. So <clears throat> he describes in 2 Corinthians, um, I believe it's in verse 7. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. We're still in verse 6. Um, kindness. And kindness is described... Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you. What would you? How would you describe kindness? Because there's okay. What would be the motive? Why would you do that? What's that? There you go. So, um, what I had written down: love in action. And, and being morally correct so loving somebody but not only loving somebody but but to the point of going back to like when jesus describes to the good good samaritan he says which law is the greatest love your neighbor as yourself and he says well who's my neighbor 
Good question. Jesus says anybody who has a need that you recognize and that you have the ability to take care of and that God has provided you with the ability to do something for them, to demonstrate Christ's love toward them, do that. And so he gives the story of the Good Samaritan. A Samaritan is despised in this culture. You know, they, they are the, the worst of people. And this Samaritan comes along, picks this guy up. He spends his own money. And we're not talking about, here, here's 20 bucks, go get you something to eat. We're talking about several days' wages, and then he promises that he will come back and take care of whatever other expenses um, are, are incurred because of this man taking care of this man's needs. And so that's the kind of love, this, the kind of sacrificial love um, that he's describing. So the next one um, in... 2 Corinthians 5, 6, he says, in the Holy Spirit, or in other words, controlled by the Holy Spirit, or in the spirit of holiness. So in the passage we just read in Galatians, that goes right along with that. And then now he says in, in the next verse, in verse 7, I believe, in truthful speech. No, I'm sorry, I skipped one. I, I finished the last one in verse 6, in sincere love. And uh, that's described, the word sincere is in the Greek is without hypocrisy. So sincere love doesn't mean that you get to pick and choose who you love how much. It means that you demonstrate the same kind of love to every person in the body of believers in the same way. And the, uh, the truthful speech is also incorporated in this proclaiming the gospel. So if we if we ask the question, can we give truthful speech that hurts that is sincerely loving? Yes. And as a matter of fact, we're instructed to do that. And oftentimes within the body of believers, we want to hold back a little bit from truthful speech because we know it's going to hurt somebody and it might cause some friction. It might cause a little bit of disturbance or a little bit of trouble. And we see where the apostles um, and others that are, that are walking with them that are following Christ, they're, they're being instructed to teach, encourage, and rebuke everyone that needs it so that... Um, <laughs> there is <laughs> right right and so and the, the point that you make right there uh, Chris is is, is uh, in Galatians 6 1 and 2 um, that if somebody is caught in sin um, and this can be any type of sin it can be a moral sin it can be just basic mistreating people if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should re restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. <coughs> Excuse me. So the description that goes along with that is, if we jump down to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers for what righteousness and what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? 
What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. I'm jumping a little ahead here because what's the context of this verse? Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What are we talking about here? Where are we at? Okay, and where is that happening in, in what we've just been reading today? In the church, in the body of believers. So yeah, denominations started because people were going, uh, we can't be equally yoked because you're taking the scripture and you're, going, you're saying this. And, and that's exactly how denominations got started. And Paul tells the people of Galatia, and if there's anybody teaching another gospel other than what I gave you from Christ through me to you, anything being added to it or taken away, he says, let them be eternally cursed. This is in Galatians 1. What does that mean? That person is not going to heaven. They are going to hell. And he makes it very clear that if it looks pretty good, but there's any opposition on any of the on any of the teachings that he's given, they're not his. That's a pretty bold statement to walk up to somebody and have the scripture open and say, you read through it and if somebody looks at it and goes, well, I'm not sure if I agree with that. You and I, we can, we can still follow the same Lord and disagree on what this says. Paul says, no, we can't. We can't disagree. And it's not saying that I'm right and that person's wrong or that person's right and I'm wrong. It's two people looking at the scripture and going, huh, I didn't know it said that. I need to change. God wants to change me. And that's what he's saying. And if, and if it's met with resistance to do that, he's saying that there's a good chance that those people are not going to heaven and the way we should treat them as an unbeliever. And that doesn't mean as an unbeliever, oh, you don't believe us? Whew. I'm not having anything to do with you. He's not describing it that way. What he's saying is treat them like an unbeliever. Share the gospel with them. Love them. Show them Christ's love. And if they still finally say no, you go, you know what? I did what I needed to do. Your blood is on your hands. I'm sorry. And, and I still love you. But I can't, I can't align myself with what you say you believe because we're not the same. You want to make a comment? Right. 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 You want to look. Yeah. And, and that's what Paul tells the people in Corinth. He says, you know, they want to masquerade. They, they want to look like Christians so that everybody believes they're Christians when they're really not. And he says, well, it's no wonder because Satan himself wants to look as much like Christ as he can so that 
you're going to go, hmm, Jesus, this one. Jesus, oh, here's another choice, and this one looks really good, and it's not quite as hard. I think I'll take this one, and I'm, good, I'm pretty good. And I feel like I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm picking little bits and pieces like a buffet. I'm picking little bits and pieces out of the scripture. Yeah, I like this. I don't, I don't want to hear that one. Uh, yeah, I like this. I like this. Okay, I can do that. And I'm pretty good. And so um, I've had many conversations where um, people will say things like, uh, repentance is turning. We know that repentance is turning from sin, turning to God. And turning to doing what's right. And what the world, what Satan wants to convince us of, is if we turn from this sin to this sin here that's not so bad, we're doing okay. He wants to convince us of that. And what the Bible tells us is that the wages of every sin is death. So are you worse off being in deep, deep, horrible sin? Or are you worse off being real close to the line? I'm, I still sin a little bit, but I haven't quite fully surrender to christ it's like i can see all these people over here and we're really close you know and it's okay this guy over here he's he's clearly knows you know and so <laughs> be careful i'm gonna spit you out yeah so anyway yeah so uh yeah i mean these are all good and important questions and paul addresses those <laughs> 